uh, Judges chapter 7. Uh, let's hear God's holy word. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites, to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. Twenty-two thousand of the people returned, and ten thousand remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them there, test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, This one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By three hundred men who lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those three hundred men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you will hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, and all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in, the, in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. 
he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand, with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me, and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you shall also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three hundred companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, and they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried and fled. The three hundred blew the trumpets. The Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia, towards Zerorah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize them from their, from the watering places as far as Beth Barah in the Jordan. And then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. And they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. And this is God's holy inerrant word. And as always, we seek his blessing and uh, the promise of, of his spirit to bring to us God's holy wisdom. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, this is one of the great stories of Scripture where we look at Gideon and we think of him as a hero of faith. I have often heard, uh, and I myself have often called Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of heroes of the faith. But uh, as I was reading and preparing this message this past week, I came to realize how inaccurate it is to call Hebrews 11 the hall of heroes of the faith. That title, Heroes of the Faith, is somewhat incompatible when we understand the Lord's glory and grace that is ever necessary to us in anything that we would endeavor to do for His glory. We have faith, yes, And at times that faith is strong and it looks like 
that we are accomplishing the will and the work of God with, with ease. But there are other times when that faith is very weak. And, and our reliance upon the Lord in those times is perhaps far greater than what we realize. If you read this account of Judges chapter 7, you will see that Gideon really didn't do anything until the Lord devastated the army of Midian. Up until that point, Gideon was a weak man. And, and even if you were to turn to Hebrews 11, you would recognize that it's not talking about those men who are necessarily heroes of the faith, but those men who, in faith, did what God called them to do, and the Lord worked mightily. I went to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 39, and it speaks there of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, four of the judges that we are are going to be uh, looking at. We've already looked at Barak and now Gideon. But uh, it goes on to say that some of them through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. We know those stories and we know those men who are attached to those stories. But then it goes on to talk uh, in verse 35 about others who were tortured who didn't accept deliverance from the hand of their enemies, who didn't compromise, if you will, who looked for a better resurrection. Others had trials of mockings and scourgings, chains and imprisonment, were stoned, were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain, wandering about, destitute, afflicted and tormented. It wasn't about the great works and deeds, but it was about faith that was resting and trusting in Christ. And through that faith, the Lord accomplished His will and purposes in those particular times. It's not about these men being heroes, but about them resting in the Lord. And I think that's important to remember when we continue on through Judges. God is not in the business of making heroes. He is in that business, if you will, of calling forth servants to walk by faith, to live by faith, and to serve Him. That truth comes out in the New Testament as well. You know the times that the uh, apostles often came together and had those debates and discussions about which of them were the greatest and who should be on either side of Jesus when his kingdom comes and always competing for that top spot, if you will. And even there, Jesus had to remind them, Mark 10, verse 45, that greatness is not found in position or in prominent events, if I could put that in there, in great things that we do. He said that greatness is found in being a servant. And he put himself in that place too. He who is the greatest of all, the Lord who is, uh, uh, who we could say none is greater than the Lord himself. He put himself into that place of a servant. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
And he goes on to say to his disciples, and he says that same thing to us, and it's something to remember as we look at these judges. Greatness in Christ's eyes, greatness in the Lord's eyes is found in sacrificial serving by faith. I wonder if some of you have ever thought like I have at times about some people who aren't Christians But we look at them and we see their character and their countenance and we think, so-and-so, oh, they would make a great Christian. Have you ever thought that of someone? I have many times. And what was that that based on? It was based on often how we saw their character, their goodness and kindness, their temperament, Maybe even their humility. It is remarkable about how humble and kind and good unbelievers can be at times as God's common grace works in their hearts. But the basis of that thought that so and so would make a great Christian was looking at what they were doing and exercising in their lives Outside of Christ, it's self-righteousness. It's, it's an idolatry that comes into a person's life. And when we look at Gideon here, I want you to see God uses not great men to accomplish his will and purposes. God uses weak men who depend on him who have a faith in Him and who have to go out in their weaknesses to live and walk by faith. And isn't that the statement that we get even in in the New Testament? 1 Corinthians 1. You consider your calling, brethren. Verse 26, look there. You see in your calling, not many wise men according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. You know, oftentimes we look at people and we think they're great and and that greatness, whether it's in humility or goodness or kindness or a countenance that is just seemingly gracious, it's still all in the flesh. And not many, that, that's the implication of 1 Corinthians one twenty six. not many of those kind of people are called. Rather, God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things to shame the things which are mighty. And he goes on to say why. It's so that anyone who would glory in the grace of God's salvation would glory in the Lord and not in themselves and not what they brung to the plate in order to be saved. Our glorying is only to be in Christ. Our glorying is only to be in the cross. And it is the cross of our Lord and Savior that alone has that power to truly humble us as people in seeing who we are before a holy God. Nothing more than a wretched sinner who deserves judgment. And not the love and the kindness and the mercy and that grace of God that delivers us. 
That's true humility. That's the lowliness that comes only from Christ. And that Christ-likeness needs to be in our lives <clears throat> the reality that that abides upon us, that guards us from robbing the Lord of His glory. In weakness, we serve our Lord. And you know, that glory was the thing that God was most concerned with when Gideon raised up 32,000 men to go after an army of 135,000. God looked and said, No, 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 this isn't going to work. Gideon, you have too many men. They're already at that point outnumbered three to one. (laughs) And God said, no, if you win this battle, you're going to say my own hand has delivered us. God knew their hearts. I think even with those numbers, 32,000 against 135,000, there was a weakness that was already evident, but it wasn't a weakness of the heart. The Lord knew differently. It was the same thing uh, with uh, what we would call a David and Goliath scenario. Oftentimes in history, the weaker army, because of military tactics, can overcome a much larger army. What is most evident when you read the opening verses of chapter 7 is how much and how well the Lord knew Gideon and Israel's hearts. That at this point, that if they were to go forward and have success, they would boast in themselves and not in the Lord. My friends, have you ever, ever stopped for a moment to consider why Weakness is necessary. That's uh, the first point of this message. Weakness is necessary. And God looked at Gideon and said, you're too strong in the flesh. You have too many men for me to be able to work my glory in your midst. And so God begins to cut Gideon's army down. In verse 3, he comes and he says, anyone who is fearful or afraid. Well, they're still fearful and afraid as this goes on. We're going to see that. But God is looking and and he says, if anyone is fearful and afraid, verse 3, let him turn and and depart at once from this battlefield. Those two words mean it it wasn't just a a natural fear that overtook them. Uh, Those two words say that they are shaking in their shoes for fear of the battle that's before them. They have no confidence of victory at all. And so 22,000 whose heart was trembling for fear, left the battle and went to their homes. Perhaps 22,000 men whose hearts were not set upon the Lord. Who knows? But God comes after that cut and He says, no, you're still too strong. 
I'll read that word into it. Because weakness is necessary. And he brings about a second cut of the army in verses 4 to 8. Kind of a testing. I'm going to separate you into two groups. And I'm going to choose the group that I want to go and be part of this battle. And so he brings them down to a water hole and he tells them all to take a drink. And 10,000 men go up and take a drink. And God divides them between those who lapped the water and those who got down on their knees and drank the water with their mouths from from the river. Interesting thing about this little scene is how many commentators want to say that there was something very special about the 300 men, that they were more valiant and wise soldiers because of the way they drank water, and that the other 9,700 men, because of the way that they drank water, were not skilled as soldiers and things. That's all foolishness. That wasn't the point of this exercise, this testing of God. If the numbers were reversed, if 9,700 men had lapped the water and 300 men got down on their knees to drink, God would have still chosen those 300 men. He wanted to weaken Gideon and the army to the place where they had to rely upon God to win the battle. That it was not going to be of their hand that they would find deliverance. Doesn't that sound like the issue that we have when it comes to proclaiming the gospel and people thinking that their own goodness is all that they need in order to stand before God on the judgment day. That those who truly have not looked at their own heart to see how weak and failing their own righteousness is before a holy God. And that God most most assuredly has to bring every one of us to our knees to see what we are in His presence as wretched sinners before we will look to Him in true saving faith and to say, Lord, save me by Your Son. What's God's point here in breaking down Gideon's army to 300 men? He wanted Israel to understand Midian's strength wasn't their problem. Isn't that how this began when God came to Gideon? The harshness of the Midianites that they had come and destroyed their fields whenever they were planted, had burned their fields so that they had no food, had weakened them physically and perhaps mentally. And God says, I'm coming to deliver my people. I've heard their cry and I, and I see their sufferings. I want to bring them deliverance. And Gideon says, well, if you're really with us, God, then why are we in such a state? They were in a place where they thought Midian's strength was their problem. But the real problem was Israel's propensity to idolatry. And as the Lord brings out in this text, to their self-boasting and self-glorifying that comes with adultery. 
idolatry. We boast in our own righteousness. We boast in what we can do. What my hands have done. And what God did with Gideon and his army is he brought them to nothing. For them to understand how impossible it is to win any battle against the bondage of sin and idolatry. Even in our own Christian life, dear friends, weakness is necessary. We don't always understand uh, why trials and afflictions come, but I can say this for sure. They do come with this purpose of humbling us so that we will not be boasting in how well we can do in and of ourselves. Even the Apostle Paul, many of you know 2 Corinthians 12, but you and many of you know, why was Paul given that thorn in the flesh? We're not told what it, it, it was, so let's, let's not even think about what it was. <laughs> like those 300 men, they, they, they weren't more astute soldiers because they brought the water to their mouth and lapped it like that has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with God weakening us. Why did God give Paul that thorn in the flesh? And he says it there, 2 Corinthians 12, verse uh, verse 7. Lest I be exalted above measure. Lest I start boasting in my accomplishments, in what I can do. Lest I start elevating myself or others elevate me and that pride that comes when others elevate you. God gave him a thorn in the flesh so that Paul would always make his boast of Christ. God can win a battle with 300 men who just stand there with a torch and a horn in their hands and do nothing else. So, like what Jesus said in John 15 when he strived to get his apostles to understand that as long as they were abiding in him, abiding in Christ's love, abiding in Christ's righteousness, and, and demonstrating that abiding by obeying and doing, living by faith. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. John fifteen five. if you're marking these things down. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And here Gideon was learning. Midian wasn't the problem. They had been living without their Lord. Idolatry had consumed them. And they needed to be brought back to that place of faith, reliance upon their God. Paul was the same thing. Paul with all his pedigree and ability and self-righteous efforts God had to make sure he was made weak to keep from boasting. 
so that he could be useful to the Lord. Isn't that one of our hard lessons? Why do trials come into your life, dear friends? Because the Lord wants you to live by faith in him and to learn to walk by faith in him and not in that reliance of yourself, of your goodness. Hard lessons. But as God made Gideon and his army weak, he understands that they're in a place where fear has taken over them. And now he comes in verses 9 to 18 to encourage them in their weakness. Weakness is necessary, but the Lord doesn't leave us in a state where fear begins to rule. And so in that weakness, he comes to encourage. Think about that. It's not just simply boasting in our weakness. Rejoicing perhaps, but we have to be careful that our weakness does not become an excuse to do nothing. And and as this army of Gideon is whittled down to 300 men, fear has certainly come. It's often what happens in our weakened state. In our weakened state, Satan comes to tempt, and we're more susceptible to his temptations, to despair, to give up, to have an increasing, deepening fear, to experience a loneliness that brings us to a standstill at times. And most, most uh, significantly, in our times of weakness, We have a tremendous propensity of forgetting God's promises. Jesus knows that temptation. The devil didn't come against Jesus when he was strong and and, uh, physically strong and able. He came to him after 40 days of not eating when Jesus was weak and hungry Thirsty, (laughs) being sustained solely by the power of God in his physical being, that's when Satan came to tempt him. And in the purity of his heart and the power of the Spirit, Jesus was able to resist those temptations of Satan with the Word of God, (laughs) the promises that God has proclaimed, I don't live by bread alone. I live by the very word of God. Gideon here was afraid. You see in verses 9 to 10, God God in verse 9 says, Okay, Gideon, now you are at a place where I can be glorified in this deliverance. Arise, go down against the camp. I've delivered it into your hand. But then verse 10, God God knew Gideon was afraid. If you are afraid to go down, if you feel that you can't trust me. And here God gives him another test, another sign. Gideon was afraid to obey. 
And here God comes to encourage him with his word. (laughs) A word that is spoken by two unbelievers who are the enemy. But God's word nonetheless. Gideon needed encouragement and the Lord provided this encouragement and arranged for a very special message to come meet him. My friends, uh, I don't want to be mystical. I don't think this is mystical. I think this is the way that the Lord does work. But have you ever had those times when people's names or people come into your mind and you begin to pray and sometimes you even think, I, a, a Bible verse comes into mind and, and you want to share it with them. <laughs> you ever stop to think that in those moments God is using you to encourage one of his weak saints. And that's what God does here. He says, if you're afraid, go down to the camp with your servant very secretly and I will prove to you that my word and promise is true. And Gideon does that. He goes down and he hears the uh, one of the soldiers has a dream. And the other soldier interpreted it for him. And made it clear. You, you read it there in verse 14. This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Do you think these men were saying that just matter-of-factly? Or do you think maybe a great fear had come upon them? And it's at this point, those wonderful words. Verse 15, when Gideon heard this, he worshipped God. That word worship there, it means gave him reverence. God used his words, even spoken from the lips of his enemies, to change Gideon's fear into reverence. And my friends, how often we need God's word to do that. How many times do we need to hear those words, if God is for us, Who can be against us? We have but to look to the cross of Jesus and to understand there if God so willingly delivered up His Son for us all, what greater gift than that could God give to us? How much more shall He not also freely give us all things through Jesus Christ? God is for us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Our God is in us. Our God is the creator of the entirety of all things. We are battling against creatures whom God has created. God is with us. He's so much greater. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so the Lord is my helper. What have I to fear? What can men do to me? Hebrews 13. The promises God makes to us to encourage. To encourage us, especially in our weakness. 
so that we will have our fear changed to reverence and our faith strengthened. And that's where, as we come to the end, that's where weakness is actually a strength. That's our last point here in verses 19 to 25. Weakness is strength in the hands of the Lord. You look at verse 21. And I've already said this a couple times, but other than blowing a trumpet and breaking a vase so that the the, uh, torch that they were holding in their hand could be seen in night, other than doing that, what, do, what did Gideon and his army do to defeat the Midianites? Verse 21, Every man stood in his place all around the camp, while the whole army ran and cried out and fled. Why? Because, verse 22, The Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. Gideon and his 300 men didn't do anything until the Midianite army was overpowered by the Lord and was fleeing. Do you understand how God in our weakness is strong? You know, I've often had thoughts over the years, oh, what what I could do for God's kingdom if, if I had a million dollars. Now, change that million dollars into something else. Whoa, what I could do for God's kingdom if I had fill in the blank. Don't you ever think that sometimes? That I can do great things if I have great things in my possession. And friends, it's never about what great things we think we can do. Greatness is not found in those earthly, tangible things. It's found by serving the Lord in faith. It's not even about what great things we can do if I just trust in Christ. It's about what Christ does for those who humbly trust Him in their weakness. And that's what God did for Israel through the faith of 301 men. (laughs) Gideon makes it 301 actually, I think. You are weak. The Lord says to you, I am strong. And again, and and to close out this day of worship and, and this message, just turn with me very quickly to 2 Corinthians 12. You know this passage, many of you do about Paul's thorn in the flesh. I've already referenced it. But you get down to verse 8. And Paul there was pleading with the Lord. Three times I pleaded with the Lord that he would take this away, that it would depart from him. But the Lord said to him, What? My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect. In weakness. My perfect, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he goes on to say what those weaknesses are and, and can be. Paul says there, I, I will most gladly, 
boast in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'll take pleasure in infirmities, in bad health. I'll take pleasure. I'll take pleasure in reproaches. Let the people slander me in needs. Let me be a person who who is poor in persecutions. Let me be one who is hated in distresses. Let me be one who is feeling the stress and hardship of life. Let it be not just that I'm experiencing these things. Let it be because I am living for the Lord for Christ's sake. Let it not be because of sin, but because of faith. I trust the Lord so that when ill health or slander and reproaches or poverty or hatred and persecutions or distressing times meet me, that it's because I'm walking by faith. Those things do not mean that I'm in the wrong or necessarily in sin if I am living and walking by faith in Christ. Let me see that it is the Lord who's making me weak so that his strength may be perfected in my life. And then I will be strong. Strong in the Lord. My friends, look to your lives. What is the Lord doing in your life to make you strong in him? Because God uses weak men of faith. And he uses them for kingdom service. He does this so that our glory will always be in him and not in ourselves. Lord, let me be weak so that you may be glorified. Let us pray.